Hello, and welcome to Gilead. My name is Soren Hodshire. I am the admin and comms person here, and I want to thank you for joining us today. We are so happy to have you. This past Sunday was December 3rd, 2023, and we are entering our Advent season as we prepare our way for the Groundhog Day that is Jesus's birth again. Our theme is Bright and Wild. Rebecca Anderson was preaching on joy and how it is not a luxury to the world, but a very much needed necessity. That the party will not wait for us, but we need to have as many parties as we can and enjoy each other's company, and that's part of the revolution. One of our prompts this week was, I didn't let them steal my joy when... So what about you? When was your joy not stolen? Listen now. It was already late. Brian and I had been friends for years, acquaintances in high school, but getting close through our respectively wild, weird college phases. But now it was winter break, and we were back in our hometown in his living room, and it was late. But we broke out a VHS tape and loaded up the VCR with the musical from spring of our senior year. There was one moment in particular we wanted to watch. That year we had done the fluffernutter of a musical, corny old brigadoon, complete with bad Scottish accents. Uh, Brian, my friend's younger brother, had been in it with us. He's the only tragic role in the play. His character died, and it was his brother Brian who had to announce he had the impossible and unfortunate task of singing a line that announced this kid's death in the play. It was a slow, descending minor line that was supposed to capture like the pathos of the moment, but it always, always failed to. So Brian had to stand on stage over his real life younger brother laying dead on the stage and announce his death with this absurd line. And Brian had tried to persuade our high school musical director that it was not a good idea. He had come up with an alternative that, that scanned, had the right meter and everything. And the alternative line was, he never listened to anything that anyone said, or something like that. But the director said that no, with the right motivation, with the right gravitas, to an audience consisting largely of fellow high school students, Brian would be able to sell the line. Instead, and we had proof on a VHS tape, the audience laughed every single time. So it was already late when we got to that moment in the play. It's towards the end of the play, and, and we watched it through once, and we, we made an effort not to laugh. Like, we were in college, after all, now. We were brimful of gravitas, you know? But there was this tiny feeling in the room, a kind of alertness to possibility, and I said, finally, can we just once admit that it's really funny? So we uh, rewound the tape, and some other kid sang in a Scottish accent that I'm not going to do, Lad, say a prayer, I'm afraid Harry Beaton is dead. And then Brian, face drawn, looking at his play-killed brother, intoned, Looks like he fell on a rock and it crushed in his head. And finally, after fighting for years, we laughed with the audience that had been laughing. We laughed 
until we cried. We sang the line back and forth to each other until our jaws were shaking. You know how you get late at night? And we couldn't speak, and we laughed until we heard a voice from the stairwell proclaim, Brian, the party's over. Your guest needs to leave. <laughs> and that almost killed us too. There are so many reasons to be serious. Trying not to wake up somebody's dad in the middle of the night is near the bottom of the list. Pretty much everything ranks higher, and a lot of it boils down to there's a time and a place, and this isn't either one. Because somebody who is grieving is an earshot, or because this time shit is actually really bad. Because it's disrespectful to be silly when other people are suffering, or because the end is near, or because lives are at stake, or because no one is free until everyone is free, because to everything there is a season, because it's better to go to the house of mourning, and both of those last ones are the Bible, and all of it's true. The house felt like a funeral, or like after a funeral. The quiet hung heavy, and we were in the wake of something major. Just an hour earlier in Sunday morning worship, my dad, the pastor, had confessed from the pulpit of our church to having had an affair, and he resigned publicly after 12 years of pastoring that congregation. And now my family was back at home just across the driveway from the church. We we're on a kind of lockdown while people left the parking lot. I was living at my folks at the time, which was a bad idea, but I was there, and my little brother had come home from college unexpectedly to be there too. My best friend, who was another preacher's kid, had come to church with me, which was unbelievably generous, and ditto my brother's friend, who came to be with him. And so now the four of us kids were sitting at the kitchen table in the small parsonage, that's the house that the church owns for the pastor. We were sitting at the kitchen table and we were laughing our asses off. We had the Sunday paper open in front of us and we were making fun of the Q&A section at the front of the parade magazine. This was like a, a paper insert that probably still exists somewhere. In case you wonder, those of you who know me, in case you wonder if my brother and I are actually related, he said to me this week that he remembers what we were talking about because it was a pretty good bit of his. It was like 25 years ago. So, so the bit was about how the questions in the front of the parade magazine ranged from absolute fluff to the existence Existential. And his examples are, what happened between Burt Reynolds and Lonnie Anderson? They were such a great couple, uh, Tammy agrees. And then the next question would be like, if God is all-powerful, why is there suffering? <laughs> so we're laughing at that good bit when my mom came in with her face gray the way it always was those days. And she didn't exactly ask us to stop laughing. In fact, the words she used were basically the opposite. Like, I'm glad you're having fun with your friends or whatever, but it had the effect of asking us to be quiet. And we tried, because people who were grieving were in earshot. But the problem was, in addition to it being a really good bit, it was just the laughter was what we needed. Because we as a church are a lot churchier than we set out to be, you all almost certainly know what Advent is. The liturgical season, the four Sundays that count down to Christmas, a season of waiting and quiet anticipation and preparation for Christmas. A season that secular Christmas either ignores or celebrates with calendars full of whiskey or chocolate, or apparently you can get at Trader Joe's these days a calendar full of cat treats if that's your jam. 
It's a season that any pastor anywhere on the theological spectrum will tell you is a respite from the crush of holiday consumerism and capitalistic drive. A season that some people will tell you is ruined if you sing joy to the world too soon. The Bible readings for Advent are apocalyptic. The sun turns to darkness, the moon to blood. There are signs and wonders and billows of smoke. Advent is yearning for God's justice that is, I have preached, and may again, always unfurling into the world. Already here and not yet. Fine, it's all those things, yes. That's what Advent is. But this year, enough. Like, enough already. Enough pretending that Christmas hasn't already happened, that Jesus hasn't been born like thousands of times. Enough holding back, enough long faces, enough waiting for the right place and time, the right circumstances, enough house of mourning. The house sounded like a party. Even from out here, he could hear it. His dipshit younger brother had come home, tail between his legs, a rehearsed apology in hand, having blown through his half of their inheritance. Now was not the time to party, for fuck's sake. Maybe it was time for reflection. Like, how much were they going to give up for this kid? Maybe it was time to wait and see how genuine the apology was, how much the kid was willing to change. Sure, they could hope he would change. The older brother had reasons to be serious. He cared about his father, and the old man was getting the wool pulled over his eyes, again, by his spendthrift, shiftless younger brother. The older brother cared about the well-being of their family, which the younger brother was putting in jeopardy, taking off with his share like that. That money wasn't for now. It wasn't for blowing in the city, living among the faithless and irreligious people. That money was for the future, for all of their future. That's what he, the older brother, had been working for all along. He wasn't a spoil sport. He just cared about things that mattered important things, and the least they could do now that this ne'er-do-well prodigal had come home to siphon off more resources, the least they could do is not celebrate, not have a party for crying out loud. What'd people think? The very least, he was gonna keep working out in the back fields, even while the sounds of the party tightened his mouth into a little serious line. For all that Jesus could be a dogmatic radical, he also took a lot of criticism for being unserious because of what he drank and how much and with whom, because of what he ate and how with dirty hands and dirty people. He wasn't serious about his practice of religion. He was supposed to be some big teacher and instead he just hung out all the time going to dinner parties and of course disrupting them. And the party at the end of the prodigal son story, that was just one of many parties Jesus used to teach about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom is like a dinner party. The kingdom is like a party being thrown for almost no reason. I found my lost coin. One sheep in a huge flock got back to the fold. And then finally, story of two brothers and their ridiculous prodigal dad. I mean, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? What would you expect from the son of a guy who'd throw a lavish party after so much waste? Profligate, prodigal, generous, spin it however you want. The dad in the story is not taking this seriously. Was Jesus? We get it wrong when we think our seriousness is a measure of our values. 
Jesus valued people, and he ate and drank with them. Sometimes he was the one who brought the booze. We get it wrong when we believe that seriousness is the only way to accomplish real change, that there will be time to celebrate once, all, once we've done all that needs doing. Jesus said wrong. The time is now, always now. Take any excuse to call your people together. Any little daily success is reason for joy. Did you find your keys that you lost again? Did you unfuck the little insurance thing that was your fault to begin with? Woo! Let's go. And when something big happens, even if it's maybe temporary, let's party while we can, while we're all here. We get it wrong when we act like if it's better to go to the house of mourning, which is, after all, biblical, if it's better to go to the house of mourning, we get it wrong when we act like, well, we better get going because there's no need. The house of mourning is going to come to you eventually, one way or the other. You don't have to go there. We get it wrong when we worry what it'll look like to others if we live out our joy, our abundance right now. What will it sound like now of all times if we laugh out loud where they can hear us? What does it suggest if we refuse to wait and embrace beauty now, try to make things bright and wild? We get it wrong because something has almost killed us and will again, but we are here tonight together. There's so many reasons to be serious, including here tonight. The world is still on fire and People are enduring terrible suffering. You might have personal reasons to be serious tonight, to stay serious. I believe you. And God knows. God sees you with compassion from a long way off, like that dad, and comes running out to meet you. And actually, not just you, the spendthrift son cut from the same wasteful cloth as your parent, but you, the older brother, grunting in your work and your resentment. Honey, God says, putting a hand on your back, it's for you too. Come in. Joy is not a privilege, it's our birthright. The people who cannot feel it right now, including you, have been robbed by war, by occupiers, by illness, by depression, by all kinds of systems. Your joy is an inheritance that cannot be diminished by someone taking more than their share or using it now. Joy isn't an ill-deserved reward for the prodigal son or for the privileged or for the frivolous. It's not a reward at all or a luxury. It's a survival skill that is necessary for our healing. That day at the kitchen table with our friends, my brother and I had just begun. A few weeks later, right before we had to move out of our house that the church owned, we stumbled around a grocery store on an errand. Whether we were literally leaning on each other or not, I don't know, but that's how it felt. That's how I remember it. And in the grocery store, he said, my dad threw away everything we had, and all I got was this lousy T-shirt. And we laughed so hard, we had to leave the store. It wasn't a great bit. Like, it's not one for the ages, you know what I mean? But we needed it. And however temporarily, we were able to laugh, so we did. Even poor old dead Harry Beaton in Brigadoon. I mean, he had his reasons to be serious. The plot is too ridiculous, and this sermon is too long to get into it, but just believe me, 
Harry Beaton has his reasons. And his reasons, I mean, his inability to accept the goodness that was all around him, it cost him his life. Joy is a survival skill. Seriousness will find us. It will seek us out. The trick is to seek out joy, to nurture it, to turn up the music, to lay down our tools, and to head into the party. Can you see him? Watching his dad head back into the house. His dad who had just said with surprise, you're always with me. All I have is yours. Honey, come inside and celebrate. Can you feel him weighing his options? He has his reasons. It's not wrong. They could all get their hearts broken again. But the day was growing short. The time was at hand. It was already late. And here at the end of the story, the party's not over. It's just getting started. <laughs>